you have found Contemporary Conservative Audio or ContemporaryConservative.net. We hope you enjoy this November 28th segment of our Contemporary Conversations. Welcome to Contemporary Conservative Audio with your host. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Did you have a good, good Thanksgiving? I had a very nice uh, limited gathering for Thanksgiving. We had no more than six people. Well, I I beat you. I no more than two. It was just my dad and I. <laughs> so how's that for a limited gathering? Well, just as a funny joke here, uh, I saw a meme on the topic. I I did happen to have six people at the little Thanksgiving gathering I attended, but uh, the next day I saw a meme on Facebook, I believe it was, that showed uh, a cop at the at, at a young man's door, and uh, the cop uh-huh. said, "How many people do you have gathered inside?" And the young man replied, six people." The officer says, well, can can I come in and verify that? And the young man says, no, because then there'd be seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and it occurred to me that maybe that could be a little disguise for certain gatherings, maybe. Maybe you could just tell right. the cops, there's six people in here, can't come in. We'll all get COVID. That's right. <laughs> hey, they... they uh... Set themselves up for it. Almost. Right. Well, uh, anyway, I saw this uh, pretty neat news story the other day I thought uh, I'd share, and you might find it interesting, too. I read it's, the news. Um, you, <laughs> well, so do I. Um, but there's a new rule that could potentially allow... Um, gas and firing squad executions to return to um, you know, the federal level. Really? And Yeah. Um, I got a couple of little facts about it. And the DOJ had amended protocols for um, federal death, sentence, death sentences no longer requiring death sentences to be carried out by lethal injection. Um, the amended rule allows um, the U.S. government to conduct the elect- not electrocutions, executions by lethal eject- injection or, and this is the key, by any manner prescribed by the state in which the sentence was imposed. Hmm. And uh, I thought that was pretty neat, and it says... Um, the new change accounts for the Federal Death Penalty Act requires the sentences be carried in the manner prescribed by the law in the state in which the sentence is imposed. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, not cool, but, you know, interesting to hear about. I think it's cool the way it fits in with our federalist system. I mean, that's the whole intent. I mean... If it's right. barbaric in Atlanta to be buried six feet underground, then we'd better not treat right. you that way. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, I'll put the uh, link to the article I found in the uh, show notes. Um, and there is a um, um, spokesperson from the government that said um, the federal government will never execute an inmate by firing squad or execution unless the state has authorized the method itself. Hmm. And, um, pretty interesting. The last little bit I, yeah, the last little bit I had here was, um, uh, William Barr, who we all know and love, <laughs> um, restarted federal executions, um, oh, this year after a 17 year hiatus. Yeah. And suppo- apparently, this, just this year, the, uh, Justice Department, has executed more people than the previous half century. What's the figure, though? Despite it's a small figure. It's like 13 or 9 people, something like that, isn't it? Um, the article didn't give it, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if you're pretty accurate on that. I mean, because, shoot, I haven't heard of that many cases just this year. but I know they've done a couple this year, but, I mean, I haven't heard of a whole boatload of them. No, and I think it's like you said. I mean, it's it's a reinstated thing. I don't think they're just going to start massacring yeah. thousands of people, you know. Um, right. But it's interesting. As soon as you brought up this topic, it is something I've heard of. I've read some headlines on, not very recently. But um, I know I've heard from the other side that there have been calls to completely repeal the federal death penalty again, you know, as it was right previously. And they scream that on the other side, you know, that they should go away. They're all the old songs, you know, they're inhumane, unjust, un blah, blah, blah. But I like the way you've set this up because how respectful is it that the federal death penalty would give credence to your locality, you know, that that you yeah. should be prescribed a death that is deemed just in the place you reside. I mean, that's, that is the a snapshot of exactly what our federal system is supposed to represent. And I understand what you were saying. I mean, it's sort of an ugly topic, the death penalty, right. but... How respectful. I mean, if you've got to kill somebody, why wouldn't you kill them the way they'd like to die? You know? Right. right. You're basically being um, condemned. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure the sentencing is done by a judge, but essentially, you know, sort of in the same vein as, you know, in the jury of your peers. Well, in a criminal case, it would be. Right. Because you live in the, you know, it's the state you live in, and the laws are voted on by people that are represented, well, that represent the, you know, your fellow citizens in that state. Right. Pretty cool story. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty neat when I was browsing through some of the headlines um, preparing for our show. Well, you know, I don't know how well it jives and everything. I don't know how long we want to talk, you know, because... We've been friends years, and I know we could sit here for years more and continue these conversations, but 
you know, it makes me think of other things like um, Oregon's right to death laws. That was an issue uh-huh. several years back now, maybe 10 or oh, yeah, more. Um, you know, you, you have these issues where these people have these really degenerative diseases, muscular dystrophy and uh, very advanced types of cancer. And mm-hmm. um, in some places, it's illegal to kill yourself. So I see that as tangentially related because, you know, you get to a point you're in so much pain. Wouldn't it be more humane to, you know, let's let's say ease that pain, permanently ease that pain? Uh, I think there are people right, who get I to mean, those we, points. We do that with animals. We right. Put, right. Yeah, we put our dogs out of, you know, out of suffering when they're experiencing stuff like that. So it certainly is interesting. I mean, yeah. And you talk about the apparatus of government to to impose right. a dictum on every subject across the board, except ours has this caveat, the state system, where the states enact what's comfortable for them. I actually find it a beautiful story. It's almost um the one you presented. Um it's reminiscent of definitely if you know the spirit of the constitution mhm definitely mhm no. federalism and its finest yes i would concur and i think it's sad you know as sad as it is i mean really if you think about it in terms of taxation in terms of e- economics if you think about it in terms of productivity and uh gdp uh no government wants to lose citizens uh it just is sort of as an ugly fact of life that uh, they do expire we the human bodies that we (laughs) inhabit do expire um so it is It is a very interesting topic. I thought so, too. Well, I can tell you what's been on my mind in uh, the past couple of days. I mean, I'm sure it's been on many people's minds. (laughs) Uh, You turn on the news, they're certainly talking about it. You know, on all of those uh, Bolshevik news networks. (laughs) Right. I've been thinking about. Yeah, I'm sure you do. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've been thinking about how um, this November 3rd vote that, let's say, most of us participated in, um, it's almost like the tale of two elections, not just one. Uh, In a lot of ways, this has reminded me a lot of... um, Charles Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities and um, it's been a long time since I got my bachelor's in literature and I was back at college and everything so I refreshed myself on this I pulled up the quote that is worldly famous I'm sure you'll recognize it instantly but uh, I'm going to read the whole paragraph the whole opening paragraph of A Tale of Two Cities um, and it's very striking. I think you'll see a couple of things in it that that apply to now. So uh, he says in in 
again, just to reiterate, the opening lines of A Tale of Two Cities here. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received, for good or for evil, in the superlative degree of comparison only. Pretty stark, um, huh? I that's yeah, the end of the I, quote I by think the it's, um, I think it kinda seems to describe the time that we're in right now. Well it's almost the most it really hits home, the, especially when he gets to that part where he says, um in short, the period was so far like the present period. I mean, here we are reading a an, an old, very famous quote from Charles Dickens, who you know probably wrote in the early eighteen hundreds of Britain, and his quote is so far like the present period here in twenty twenty. You know that his right. It's almost meta to sit here and read that particular line. Well, I mean, they always say that history has a way of repeating itself. Yes, and the affairs of men are always in question, never certain. Well, the things that I've been thinking about, especially in regards to this quote, I mean, given the election we've just had, it's like for the progressives, you know, this is a time of cautious victory for them. They're out on every network every day saying mm -hmm. Biden is president-elect. Uh, but for the conservatives, this seems to be more of a time of, like, silent, white-knuckled anticipation. We're just holding on to some last sliver of hope that Trump may actually win, and uh, we might eke out a victory here, you know? Mm. I mean... Um, Every time you turn on the news, it's you get two stories depending on where you look, and it's actually closer to one story. But if but if you're really looking, you do still see two stories on the television. I mean, we see Trump making these, you know, um, litigation efforts in a lot of cities. You know, I think they're ongoing in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Wisconsin. Michigan, um, I think that's like five. There may be some more, but, you know, each day, it's like I told you in a private conversation, I keep hoping I'll, I'll wake up and read the headline I want to see, and and I don't see it. And it sort of is like the, the two sides keep playing their own games, you know. For the Trump, it's all litigation, litigation, fraud fraud and for biden it's all president-elect cabinet member appointees 
Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the headline, but the SGA just gave him the green light to uh, start uh, getting presidential uh, briefings. Yeah, I did see that uh, mm-hmm. earlier today. Yeah, they're um, certainly moving uh, moving forward with it. I mean, I mean, Trump still has uh, the you know complete right to keep filing his litigations, and I hope he does. I mean, just because they're beginning the transition process doesn't mean it's quite over yet. Yeah, he isn't certified. Yeah, the electors haven't set. That's right. Um, yeah, that's actually a note I have here. The electors don't convene until December 14th. So, do you see that as helpful for us? Do you think so? Giving some of what you've seen, you know, given the time that has passed. Uh, do you think now the tide is turning in our favor or theirs? Um... I don't know. It feels like it's turning in theirs, but I still can't say yet. I still feel like we're stuck in this weird spot where we're just waiting for more outcomes in the court. Well, I understand your sentiment completely. I really do. But I've felt more hopeful today than I have in the past several days Possibly weeks. I can't remember November 3rd. Yeah, it's been quite a while since we <laughs> voted, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I feel a lot better now than I have in the last several weeks. And um, I feel as if the tide is turning in our favor. They tried to turn. Um, there's an interesting fella. I've mentioned him to you before. Haven't in a while, but there's a guy of Indian nationality. Um, named Dinesh D'Souza. Oh, uh, I know about him. Yeah. And the way he phrased it in a very recent video is, we have subverted their turning of the tide. We haven't returned the tide, and they didn't really either. <laughs> Do you see? Isn't it clever language on his part? We've subverted... Yeah. They're turning over the tide. Right. <clears throat> Pretty clever. Because it's not... I might have even said we're turning it back. It was red. It should be red. It turned blue. We're turning it back red. But his use of the word subversion suggests that it never flipped blue in the first place. It was always red. And that's why I admire right. that man. Very, very intelligent man. Yeah, I've definitely seen uh, some of his speeches and stuff that he does. He's pretty good. Well, let me ask you one last thing on that point. These are the last two little notes I have here. They're absolutely related. I'd like to get your input. Sure. I I used my own phrasing before I heard Dinesh D'Souza. I just heard Dinesh D'Souza today, and I wrote these notes last night. So I ask, how would you expect the Democrats to react if the tide does turn to red, if it turns back? Uh, it's interesting, the dichotomy, uh, <laughs> because I just set up the 
D'Souza quote, suggesting it was never turned blue, but here we are. How how do you think they'll react since they've seen it blue if it turns back to red? Do you think we'll just see a doubling down of the resistance that we'll see another impeach 45 for four more oh, years? Yeah. yeah, if they pretty much already suspect that he's a nefarious actor, so if the you know tide does turn back, so to speak, of course they're going. They're not gonna. It's gonna be resistance times two. Two point all over. More impeachments, more sham investigations into non existent corruption. Um I mean they're like I can't imagine them not reacting that way because they're you know, they're they're that close. They're their claws are on it. And they're lose their ever-loving minds if they lost, you know, lost their grip on the White House. Well, I absolutely agree with you because um, there have been times that it's been asked, does Trump play 4D chess? And sometimes I've doubted whether or not he does. But I can tell you one thing, the Democrats do not play 4D chess and if they were to double down and play this resistance um, forgive my French here but bullshit over again they double down and do the resist, resist, impeach impeach I think they'll hurt imagine, look at what the House of Representatives looks like now right, right yeah, it's It'll be, well, let's say 2021. <laughs> Imagine what the House of Representatives looks like in 2021, and then they double down on all that, you know, Nonsense. horse dung, and uh, imagine what the House of Representatives looks like in January of 2023. Yeah. Even redder. More red. Yeah, Especially if we kick those Dominion voting systems out to sea and sink them. Sink them. Sink those things. <laughs> right. I mean, this is something I heard a couple of people make a point of is that in Canada, which the, all the liberals love Canada, they don't use electronic voting machines. Paper ballot. That's what I'm pretty sure I've heard. Well, I don't know. I. I'm pretty sure I heard that um, one of the covers for Dominion is that they are Canadian. I just wonder if huh. you're getting your hairs crossed or I am, or maybe we should look into that one a little more. Maybe. Well, I know they're from all over. I just listened to a rundown today. Obviously, there are the ties to um, Venezuela and Hugo Chavez, okay? But then they also bought out the California Sequoia voting systems company, and they rehoused themselves in Florida, 
And as I understood, they were affiliated or at some point sourced out of Canada. So this seems to be a company that moves all over and it has many domestic and many foreign ties. It's not just a clean cut, one level, easily researched and defined organization, this Dominion. Yeah, it's um, definitely a big mystery, that's for sure. Well, I, to some people it's not. I I think Sidney Powell has a lot of information. I, I've heard she has a, um, <clears throat> a member of the Venezuelan army who helped design this for Hugo Chavez, who's willing to testify. And, I mean, she said, I, I'm sure you saw the, the headline, she was going to release the Kraken on this Dominion. It's it's all about this Dominion. Uh, I saw another really uh, interesting article. This one's a little more fun and lighthearted. I think you'll find pretty pretty neat. Um, there is a animal overpass in... Utah along I-80. The um, Utah Department of Transportation built this, you know, overpass for wildlife to use to cross the six-lane highway to avoid them, you know, getting hit by the cars and causing car How accidents. How clever! I know, right? Um, I I thought that was so neat to hear about. That's like. Um, You've seen these stories. I grew up in West Virginia, as did you. You see these damn deer dead every day. Bloated uh -huh. carcasses, flies, disgusting, disgusting. Car accidents, traffic jams. How amazing of a story. So is it like a tunnel or something of that nope. sort? It's, um, I got a little bit of a description here. It's, um, let's see, uh, da, da, da. yeah, it's covered in rocks and logs to kind of replicate the terrain. Uh -huh. Um, it's got high fences to keep them from falling off, and let's see, the bridge is 350 feet long and about, about 50 feet wide. And there's about um, six miles of fencing that kind of, um, from what it seems like in the way the article is written, that kind of directs them to the overpass. Uh-huh. Uh, and it kind of blocks them from trying to cross the road. Yeah, at other points. interstate. Right. Yeah. And um, there, there's a video camera that captures uh, the animals crossing there. And so far... There's been all kinds of animals that have used it, ranging from deer, bobcats, moose, and bears. All use it. I thought it was meese. <laughs> meese. Moose, meese. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a $5 million project. I think they have plans to make more. Um, $5 million dollars to save one yeah. moose? 
Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. No, 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 no. I've gotten away from the funny, furry aspect of this tale. How much? <laughs> you said this project cost how much? Uh, five million. But I don't. I think that might include funding for more than just this. Five million. One, um, and is there a you overpass. say you say there's some sort of a uh, record of the Animal Crossings? Yeah, they they use it. Is there a overall value? I mean, do we know what that figure is? How many animals have used it to date? Uh, I think they're still studying that because I do have here that um, I believe in the two years prior to the overpass being built, which was made in 2018, um, there was um, 106- Wildlife involved crashes um, on that section, and they're hoping to reduce that. Which isn't all that much. It's only like fifty-four per year out of those two years. But you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of money that goes into it. I mean, they got people got to pay to you know for the insurance on the vehicles, and then people got to come clean up the dead animals. And, you know, if you can save an animal, you know, why not? I think it's a pretty neat idea. Well, uh, I think it's a wonderful a idea, but, but often wonderful ideas and black and white uh, values, dollars and cents don't always drive. I'd be interested to see if there was a true benefit to the situation i loved the yeah. i mean play it back play it back my friend i love the idea <laughs> i really was quite jazzed by it but yeah i'd be interested to know just what kind of bang i got for my buck here yeah um i was hoping there would be some kind of uh you know stats on how many accidents there have been since it's been built but I guess they don't have that information quite yet well I'll tell you another line of my logic is um, it almost sounds like a pilot program uh, one that might or could very easily be adopted in other states other municipalities mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like a very agreeable uh, you know presumption um to do these sort of efforts to divert wildlife deaths, I just that's especially when when that occurred to me that this could be replicated coast to coast. Mm -hmm. well, I'd like to uh, make sure that there was a real net benefit to us, and not not just to the builders and you know, contractors who would... Right. Yeah. Um, I think eventually it'll, you know, it'll be beneficial. Beneficial. I mean, because there are other... there. I believe there is one in Washington uh, state that I saw. Um, they have a similar thing, and then they're planning to build one... Uh, in some section of the 101 
in California. I well, thought that was see, pretty neat when I was uh, scrolling through the headlines this morning. Well, did you say that there was another one in, uh, about to be built in California, or that this one came out of California, the one you originally... Uh, the one I've mostly been talking about is in Utah, along Utah. I-80, okay. just outside of Salt right. Lake City. You did so, so. I'm sorry. Yep. But they're That's considering right. replicating it in California. Yeah, yep. But see, that's I already saw that in the writing on the wall. I could see this going coast to coast. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like such an agreeable story, and I just would like some double-checking into it is all. I mean, if only, right. if only two endangered species are benefited... And let's narrow it down to say that only four individual creatures from two different, uh, you know, endangered species were saved by such maneuvers. (laughs) I mean, I just would like to see if there was a real net benefit. (laughs) That's all. I mean... I'm all for saving the deer and all the little furry and fuzzy, all of God's creatures, you know, all of that kind of thing. But we're both from West Virginia, and I'll tell you, those things will kill you if you don't kill them. I'll tell you that. If you don't let the West Virginia hunters go up into the woods and have their fun, those deer come out onto the highways and they kill us for fun. That's a fact. Yeah, they jump out in the road like it's a game. You said what? I said they jump out into the road like it's a game. Well, just to tell somebody else's joke here, but uh, there's a comedian. He used to play in the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, you know, um, Ron White. Yeah. He used to tell a... A joke about how hunters always talk about how their bullets go 120 mile per hour and their scopes can see down 120 miles. They can see a buck 120 miles away and whatever. And he says, and they always miss. And he says what they need to do is, he says, they need to slow those bullets down to about 65 mile per hour and put some headlights on the bitch. <laughs> he said then the deer would jump back into the track of the bullet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. This is one of my favorite jokes he ever told. Because growing up, just to reiterate, growing up in West Virginia, you see a lot of the little horn, horn-headed fellas jumping about. It almost easily transitions right into what I've been thinking about recently, when it, one of the other things I've been thinking about. Um... There's a famous book by Leo Tolstoy called uh, War and Peace. Uh And you might say that sometimes we suffer through a little bit of war and peace with those deer. 
Especially if you live where I live. <laughs> sometimes it's war and sometimes it's peace. But, um, you know, under President Trump, uh, we've seen complete peace. And when Obama left, <laughs> we were in a very questionable status. You know, North Korea was launching rockets every other day. And in the news, <laughs> every day... Uh, it's all they talked about, but then everything got smoothed over. I mean, now, right up to current day, we have a new peace in the modern East that we haven't had in quite a while. I mean, you just did some recent reporting for us on that. Right. Um, you know, I feel like it's the most peaceful that we've had on a world stage um, in American foreign relations, you know, probably since the inception of the United Nations, since the creation of Israel as a state, since they did the Nuremberg Laws to crack down on the, the Nazis, the German Nazis of World War II. Right. I mean, that's back when there seemed to be a clear international accord. That That's when most of what we would call normal, modern international law was established, was back then. And now, that I feel like this is the closest thing we've seen to it. We, we're starting to see a normalcy in the Middle East where... Other states that used to be terrorist actors or harbor terrorist actors, they're now normalizing their relations with Israel. Um, you know, they're coming to peace with the true capital of Israel. They're coming to terms with the Israeli uh, encampments uh, along the Gaza Strip. Um, but I feel like <laughs> under Biden, I mean, many people expect that we would see the American war machine go right back into action, you know? Um, if you look at this latest move where Trump brought the troops home, He's trying to bring the troops home from Afghanistan, Iraq, from you know, to mm -hmm, fulfill right. those promises. Um, the left and all the establishment media heads, the you know, the deep state actors, they all seem to be pissed, don't they? I mean, yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. It almost seems like Trump's putting the onus on Biden. It's hard to read because it almost does look like he's putting an onus on Biden that should he redispatch the troops, you know, should he add gas to the war machine fire, that it would look bad to us, to the American people. You know, we're just finally getting our troops home and. And they would be redis redeployed, you know. Yeah. I mean, but it's interesting. You you and I are just a couple of conservatives here, but this is a topic even liberals care about. 
Um, usually. Yeah, they're generally yeah they're usually um you know big anti-war people. Yes, I mean we should all be anti-war. Um, and I don't know if you know the name, but Jimmy Dore, he's a stand-up comedian, and he does a lot of political commentary these days. And uh, if you're ready for it there, I think you've got it ready, but here's a little clip of him on the uh, Tucker Carlson program giving his views about this very topic. Jimmy Dore is the host of the Jimmy Dore Show. This is something he's followed very carefully for a while. Jimmy Dore, thanks so much for coming on. Are we ever getting out of Afghanistan, do you think? Well, if we, if we ever are going to get out of it, it's got to happen before uh, the end of the year, before Biden and his military-industrial complex goons take over, because they're never going to get us out of there. So, the, the, you know, Donald Trump has a chance right now, right, Mr. Art of the Deal. Don't be afraid of Mitch McConnell. What he's got to do is order those troops home right now and then have them fight it out in Congress. Have them reveal this. If he has to blow up the GOP to do it, do it. He can be a man uh, right now who goes into history books if he does that. He orders he want to go down and be in a big shot on Twitter. He can do it right now. I mean, he's been commander-in-chief for four years. Now, I know he's head faked and said he wanted to take people out before, and he's, he's drawn down troops here and there, and then he's ramped them back up in the Gulf and done other things. Now is the time for Donald Donald Trump. Everybody is sick and tired of these wars. You know it. I know it. Left, right, in That's the center. Sure. Everybody wants these wars over. Donald Trump can do it, and he can be a man of consequence instead of letting it. Because he didn't. He didn't give everybody health care. He didn't drain the swamp. He didn't bring our troops home. He can still do that. He can pull this off. It's not too late. Is Trump for real? Because if he brings our our, our troops back home and invests that money back here, he will be remembered as a historically consequential president. Instead of an aberration and a reality TV show host who got lucky. Trump, he's forgetting what got him elected in 2016. He didn't fulfill any of those promises. Now is a chance for him to do it. Bring those troops home. Show Mitch McConnell you're the boss, not him. Expose the warmongers in Washington and in the military-industrial complex, like he said, and do it now. If he doesn't bring the troops home by by Christmas, then Donald Trump is not the art of the deal. Donald Trump is weak. Donald Trump doesn't follow through on his own promises. So he's got to bring those troops home by Christmas, and then you'll know Donald Trump is the art of the deal, and then you'll know he means business. But if he doesn't, you know he just rolled over again for the intelligence community and the military-industrial complex. Because it's been four years. I get, hey, he's, he's appointing McGregor now. That's fantastic. It's a little late, right? What does it tell you? You said a second ago that the public supports this left, right, and center, and I think all the polls show that. No one can explain why we're in Afghanistan, and yet we're still there. What does it tell you about our system, about the democracy and the health of the democracy, that the public wants something and has wanted something for a long time, but it, it doesn't happen under any administration? What does that reveal? Well, we have to resist the undue influence of the military-industrial complex, is what it tells me. That was another president who told us that. What it also tells right. me is that our vote doesn't really matter when it comes to foreign policy one bit, right? Yeah, because the right. people want, even a president wanted to bring people home. And who really is pulling the levers? It's the military-industrial complex and their toadies in Senate and the Congress. Donald Trump is the commander-in-chief. Do this. I agree with that. Jimmy Dore, thanks so much for coming on tonight. So there you even have it from Jimmy Dore. I mean, he is not a conservative. I'm pretty sure he's a self-described liberal. And even he's telling you something that 
most would find oxymoronic that Trump is for peace, seems to be for peace, seems to be for uh, removal of an American presence in the uh, excuse me presence in the Middle East, and uh, Biden apparently would be for a presence in the Middle East, for a renewal of war, for renewed war, for, you know, the re-oiling of the war machine, the American war machine. Yeah, I think he definitely hit on a few good points there. Um, You know, the Democrat Party used to be the big anti-war party and they always painted the Republicans as you know always wanting to get into wars and meddle in other countries and um, another thing that he said that stood out to me regarding bringing the troops home is that you know that was one of Trump's big promises that he's going to bring them home and um, you know he points out if he if he doesn't do it he, you know, has kind of failed to keep his promise, and if he does, he'll go down as, um, you know, one of the greatest presidents, or, you know, definitely go down highly in the history books. And um, I thought that was pretty interesting because, um, you know, it's he he has done a lot of great things, and a lot uh, during his yes, a lot. And I believe, you know, if worse comes to worse, and it is official that Biden is the president, I I think people are going to recognize that the next four years are basically just going to be a repeat of the eight years before Trump. Yeah, failed policies, and failed... Right, and they're going to... Ideologies, yeah, mm-hmm. right, and they're going to realize, you know, how how great it was under Trump and all the great things he has done in comparison to what we're getting back into the old ways. The same thing that brought us Trump in the first place is about to happen again, and you know, if it comes to be so that we're going to be under a Biden administration. I mentioned this in uh, one of my recent articles that I think we're very well prepared and poised to take the House back and even take the White House in 2024. Well, Reed, I love your optimism, and I have. I have loved it, but I must ask you, I mean, given, given certain things that we've discussed even in this hour, um... How could you, I mean, I don't want to delve us into another hour's worth of conversation here, but let's put it this way. The Georgia vote is in question as it stands. We have to rely on it again in January to decide the fate of the Senate. So I have no problem, and I wouldn't have. I would not have had any problem, none. If Biden had won in a landslide, 
I'd even acknowledge he was our president. But with such questionable circumstances, how can we trust any result? How can we? How can we? How can we just trust, even if Trump concedes? I don't. I'm just sorry. I don't buy it. I don't. I don't want to put the hands of the Senate in in the same hands that Georgia's electoral votes were decided. I I know there are a lot of Georgians who feel that way. They don't want their votes in the same hands as the people who decided their electoral college votes, you know, as it were. <clears throat> This um, well, election has I mean, so much, so many problems that I don't know what kind of consensus it would take to get us back on track. Do you understand sort of what I'm getting at here? Sure. Um, I mean, I don't know what, what will take us to get back on track, but I... I don't think we have a whole lot a uh, whole lot of options. Well, I like our legal options. I'll tell you that. I like our legal options. I like the strategy that's being employed by the Trump team. Well, I do too. I hopefully ho- hopefully uh you know, it'll turn out in our favor. I think it will. I think the tide is turning. If you if you'll allow the expression, even though it might be inappropriate, <laughs> I think the tide is turning in our favor here. Which is another way of saying it has been in our favor the whole time. I think the tide has been in our favor the whole time. And in in that regard, I agree with you. I think the tide will continue to carry us forward to carry us into new membership, new viewership, uh, an expanse and a, a growth here with our channel. Uh, I certainly look forward to that. I hope that our viewers share us with their friends, share us on their social media. I hope that they will plug us, um, you know, as they may, as they are capable. Fund us as they may and as they are capable. I look forward to all these things. I I try to be hopeful about the future too, but it's hard. It's hard when your job is reading headlines, isn't it? <laughs> Got that right. 